0: Very careful with the needles, so it puts you to sleep and it doesn't hurt. Gates of the Industry.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, you are about to witness some scenes from the next attraction to play
0: this...
1: (laughs) This picture, truly one of the most unusual ever filmed, contains scenes which under no circumstances should be viewed by anyone with a heart condition or anyone who is easily... We urgently recommend that if you are such a person, or the parent of a young or impressionable child now in attendance, that you and the child leave the auditorium for the next...
0: Features
2: a horror discussion
0: from geeks of the And now, your host, Chunky Larry.
3: Greetings, fellow insomniacs, and welcome to another episode of the Creature Features Podcast on geeks of the I'm your host. My name is Chunky Larry. And in the summer of 1976, production began on George A. Romero's fifth theatrical offering about a young man convinced he was an 84 year old vampire. The guerrilla style production allowed the director to make a stark indictment on Catholicism and the indoctrinate element of family. The film, though considered one of Romero's obscure works, is also boasted as being one of his finest moments and a personal favorite of the man known for changing the way we look at zombies. And on May 10, 1978, George A. Romero's Martin was released, proving to audiences that there is no real magic.
0: Martin. I'm 84 years old. People think I'm crazy when I tell them how old I am. I'd like to be normal. I just have a sickness. The only way I can survive is by drinking blood. It's not easy living the way I do have to be careful all the time. But I'm pretty good at it. I think as I get older, I get better. I haven't been caught yet. Martin, another kind of terror. You see, people don't understand what's wrong. They think that I'm a monster. I think I'm a vampire. People don't realize that those things I see in the movies are not real. I don't have a whole lot of women. It's nice to watch them. I watch them a lot, all the time. I have to to be sure that nothing goes wrong. I follow them, I plan, I'm very careful. I have needles now, I can use them. I can put them to sleep, and it doesn't hurt.
1: Martin, another kind of terror.
0: I would like to be like everyone else. To do things that I don't necessarily like to do. I want to stay alive. I do need blood. From the director of Night of the Living Dead, March, 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 March,
3: This week on the show, we are going to be doing something that, in the entirety of the two years of this show, I've never ever done, which is saying something, because I've done a lot of really random things on this show. Um, but we're we're going to be saying goodnight to the theme of Fangsgiving. Um, yes, it's funny, I get it, and I love it, and uh, we're going to do it in a very special way. Uh, for, for those of you that have been following along for a very long time my very first interview on the creature features podcast was with a man that i admire a great deal uh, by the name of john Ampless, and, and one of the films that we had discussed kind of excessively um, while we were doing said interview was the film that we we're going to be discussing tonight on the show and um, it has been two years since I've had him on the show, so I felt like it was time. I I know that he's... How old are you now, uh, John? Is it 96, or... Where, where... Oh, as a... As a vampire. Yeah. Yeah,
0: he's probably...
1: I would say he's about 126. (laughs) There you
3: go. So, it's it's long overdue, you guys. Uh, We are going to be discussing... The 1977, or 78, depending on where you look on the internet, film uh, by George Romero, Martin. And uh, one of the things that I like to do whenever I have a discussion about George Romero is bring along a person that I consider a great friend um, and uh, also shares my name. And uh, he is the person responsible for the tours of the George Romero sets uh l- filming locations he's also has a hand in the living dead weekend which is insanely popular he does the dead walk newspaper that you can buy at his etsy store at the dead mart uh he's a hell of a guy and um you know i told him kind of when we did the crazies that when i do martin it's completely you and uh, i i make good on my promises and ladies and gentlemen i'm thrilled and pleased to also announce. Mr. Lawrence DeVincent. So, you guys, um, this is, this for is having me. easily, uh, no, the pleasure's mine. You, you don't need to thank me for doing me a favor. Uh, but this is easily, of the work of Romero, my favorite film, and that's not just because John's standing right there. It's also, oh. it's also, um, you know, one of my favorite vampire films, honestly, it, you know, and, I, and I've, discussed a lot of vampire films over the course of this month. Um, it's easily my favorite in the films that we've discussed. Uh, you know, following very closely would be The Hunger, but uh, this is absolutely like cream of the crop top of the pops. Uh, but we, we're we going to be able to do something really unique that I, I've never done in this show, and that is have a first hand take on the film itself, and and basically for me the the thing about this film that's so special is that it's unconventional in the aspects of the way that a vampire film is treated, and I don't know how you feel about it, Lawrence or Larry. I'm just gonna call you. It's weird yeah,
0: absolutely.
3: <laughs> Lawrence was my father's
2: name. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
2: but okay, I have a question for you before you go any further. Go ahead do, do you think Martin was a vampire?
3: Uh, well,' I, it's, it's funny that you say that. I you know, in preparation for this this discussion, um, I looked up a couple of different things that you know kind of were on my mind. While watching the film again, you know this being, God, I couldn't even tell you how many times I've seen this movie. It's 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 a it's a constant view, uh, but there are a couple of different t- types of vampirism, and um, that exist in in the world. There is clinical vampirism, uh, which is also known as uh, Renfield disease, if I'm not mistaken. That's it, it, I don't know if they call it. Uh, disease or syndrome. I probably should have written it down. Uh, but... <laughs> uh, clinical vampirism is essentially a, a compulsive uh, abnormality in the brain that makes people feel that they will become physically ill if they do not consume blood. And uh, there's also... Um, Sanguine vampires—they're, you know, the the most common uh, of real-life vampires. They, you know, they have sites set up where they can purchase blood for them to drink. They'll also uh, carve into their chest, in into their own chest, or, or cut into their arm and drink their own blood. Uh, but they derive, you know, sexual pleasure from consuming blood and. You know, they also, there are certain sanguine vampires that believe they're imbued with uh, magical powers. And then there are psychic vampires who, you know, are vampires to me in much more of a metaphysical sense where, you know, you, you look at, you know, the energy that surrounds a person, their chi or their aura or whatever kind of representation that you take from that, that uh, a psychic vampire essentially drains the energy from a room. And uh, I've been accused by an ex-girlfriend of being a psychic vampire. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> that that has something to do with it. Uh, wait, uh, I'm curious about that as well. But for me, I feel that this was... A, a psychic or a mental disorder that was driven into his head almost like, um, like racism, you know, nobody's born a racist. It's, you know, the way that you're taught. brought up, it's, it's nurture versus nature. And uh, I, I absolutely personally, uh, and I know we have the actor who played the character. Um, and you know, I'd much rather get his opinion on, whether or not he, you know, believed that Martin was actually a vampire, or if it was just in in his head, uh, my personal take it was a mental uh, imbalance based on his upbringing.
1: Yeah, well, that sounds good. <laughs> That's good for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that works. But you I know think he was a, I think he was a crazy mixed up kid.
3: and you know you obviously we kind of covered this when we did our interview. Uh, you were approached by George while you were working in the playhouse uh, to do more. and yeah initially he had wanted an older kid or an older actor <laughs> yeah, to play the older, character.
1: Yeah, he had it written as an older as an older character, yeah. Um, some, for some reason, or whatever reason he saw, he thought I might be a good candidate. So uh, he asked me, um, he said that he had a, um, he had a screenplay he was working on and um, he would get back to me and a few months later he did. And he uh, simply offered me the job and I took it. and that's how that all started. And when,
3: at any point, did you ever say, you know, after, you know, the movie was done and you guys became close, did you ever have one of those moments where you just kind of turned to him and said, what the fuck about me did you see that said, I'm the guy that goes on train cars and slits girls' wrists?
1: I've never had that conversation. No, I never did have that conversation because it it just to me I I I accepted it I uh, you know I I was actually in my last year of college so uh, I was very happy to have a job you know when I when I left and um, so yeah that was a good thing for me I was a young actor that needed a needed a needed a job and that's that's what that's what motivated me to accept it. And, you know, there's this thing that
3: I feel is kind of... uh, I think it it really hits home in a couple of places where the thing that's unnerving about Martin to a lot of the people in the film is the fact that he doesn't really open up to people. He doesn't really talk. And, you know, he he allows people... He allows people to kind of, you know, say what they're feeling, what's on their mind, rather than, you know, just assuming that, you know, he needs to, you know, give them any kind of insight one way or the other. You know, a lot of the times when you have a conversation with somebody, you, you talk and you wait for that, that vindication, that, that acceptance, and, and he never gives that.
1: Yeah. No, he uh, Martin was uh, Ma- Martin was certainly isolated, you know, uh, as an, as a person, and um, you know he was afraid. He was uh, afraid to be afraid to be caught. Afraid. Be, I mean, what he's doing is is uh, uh, pretty bad stuff. Um, but he's driven. You know, he's driven by these. I don't want to say demons, that would be, you know, uh, mental demons, probably. Um, You know, that cause him to do what he he does. I think you're... I think you're on to something in terms of the nature versus... uh, uh, What is it? Nature versus nurture? Yeah. I think he was brought up, you know, to believe that he is who, you know he says he is um, so yeah I'm on your side right now
0: <laughs> it may change of, next is, week yeah.
1: I think there's also you know uh, you could um, you could uh, you could say you said compulsion uh, you could also probably say addiction
3: yeah uh, because um, he, he has this thing uh, you know and I think that this was done very expertly with uh, the conversation with the DJ. He's able to convey a lot of the things that he doesn't really say to anybody else, to this person. Right. It's an outlet that he can be himself without fear of repercussion.
1: Right. I agree, yes.
3: That's true. And um, one of one of the biggest elements to me... Um, of this film is, uh, Catholicism. And this, this kind of, almost like looking at the system of Catholicism very much like the system of vampirism, where it's this wonderful story that if you believe it in the real world, you look like a cuckoo bananas person. And, and that's, that's kind of, uh, a take that I've Taken in the last couple of viewings that I've had, especially the scene where George uh, comes to Kuta's house, and you know he's just like he's very chill and kind of relaxed. He's he's a little bit more of a new breed uh, priest, and yes.
0: you know,
2: yeah, he, he's very dismissive of the old ways and people like Father Zulemus and he's more of a modern type of you know priest.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, yeah, yes.
3: There's there's this kind of through line, and you know Martin, on uh, several occasions, says there is no real magic, and you know I I feel like that is also kind of, you know, if you target it that towards the Catholic faith. Um, which I'm not sure, you know, where you guys land, religiously or not, but it it, it seems almost as if it's kind of a prodding of the bear, you know, sure. in, in a very subtle kind of way, where he's saying, you know, this is this is silly, this is archaic, and it, it's unnecessary. He,
1: right. He, he's talking to yeah. He's talking to Kuda and. You know, he's just saying. You know, the, what you're saying is all bullshit. <laughs> it, and you know, uh, yeah,
3: that's that's absolutely it.
1: That's exactly what he, Yeah, what he's saying is that you're, you know, you're just full of shit. Uh, you know, this is not. This is not a. Yeah, it's not a magic trick. I
3: know we're well into the conversation, uh, but. There, there's certain things that that are very interesting. Specifically to me, um, with with this project, is the editing. This was edited by Romero, correct?
2: Oh yeah.
1: Yes, it
3: was. Uh, the, yeah.
1: This 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 is this is George top to bottom. Um, you know, and I think I think this is an example of when George when George writes directs. And it's—he uh, even started uh, as a cameraman and turned it over to um, turned it over to Mike Gornick the first day we were shooting, and decided he he didn't want to be looking into the camera the whole time. In fact, at one point he had said that uh, you know Martin for him was like the first time he ever had an opportunity to really direct. Um, but it was it was George from everything. I mean, it's an original idea, which I think is what his his genius was. Um, all of his scripts were original thoughts and original ideas. Uh, so uh, you know, Martin really is the the uh, the ability for Martin to have lasted for as long as it has, 41 years. Um, is an amazing um, uh, it w- was an amazing feat, I think. And um, you know, this is this is George at his best, I think, when he's when he's when he's the top man and, ma- and ma- is able to make all of the decisions.
3: And this is the first film that he had made in four years, um, off the backs of three really. Just criminally underappreciated films, uh, one being the *Crazies*, the other two being *Season yeah. of the Witch* and *There's Always Vanilla*. Um, yeah. w- which the the latter two are incredibly cynical and biting. I mean, you you could say the same for *The Crazies*, but it feels kind of in the same vein as uh, *Night*, where it's kind of distrustful of authority, and you know. Oh, yeah. I yeah personally feel like Caesar the Witch and there's always Vanilla are a little bit more uh, distrustful of patriarchy and and there's, there's you know a lot of it's almost like a hybrid of those things kind of meeting with um, with Dawn and Martin which kind of ran almost concurrently correct it, it, I mean if you think about it Martin was released in 77 or 78, depending on where you look, and uh, Dawn was released in 78, so there's this closeness of those films, and you obviously worked on both of those films. Uh, Did you guys go from Martin straight to Dawn, or, like, how, what was the break between Um, those? I don't think it wasn't
1: very long, I know
2: that. Um, Right about a year I would say
1: May- maybe a year yeah I would agree Larry
3: and it, it's kind of the, the thing that I that I take away from that is that both films um, from an editing standpoint feel very frenetic and it, specifically the scene the home invasion scene where you know it the, the pacing of it, it amps up as it goes. You know, you, you from the point where he's watching her at the grocery store to the point where he's, you know, stabbing the, uh, the mister, because you can't call him the mistress, uh, <laughs> in the throat <laughs> drinking his blood. Uh, but from from the point of the grocery store, the point of the drinking of the blood, it, there's this thing that's done with the takes and with the cuts where you see you know just kind of this unraveling it, specifically you know because of what's going on with the character at that point he starts to get sloppy and it, it, i i got the feeling like he was almost wanting to be caught and mm. you know that he he got to the point especially with his with his relationship um where he he was doing the sex thing, as he called it, yeah. um, you know, awake, <laughs> and and yeah. um, right, and so he didn't feel the urge to feed, but he was getting to that point where he was getting shaky, and yeah he, he was gonna make these mistakes, and you know, it, what what for you did that. Did that relationship mean with Mrs. Santini?
1: Well, I um, well, that's a good question. I mean, I, I I think it's as close to any kind of love relationship that he's ever experienced. Um, whereby you know he she was attractive, he was attracted um she treated him kindly he accepted that kindness it was the first time in his life that he experienced you know a real an honest relationship with someone
3: and his his a- approach to her for having sex, <laughs> he's just like, "Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to do it." The uh, no close yeah. thing.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah,
3: I mean, yeah. I... He
0: was,
1: well, you know, the young man was—he uh, was socially inept. You know, he didn't know how to. He didn't know how to live in the world. And, um, and you, So you... He's, he's obviously a little has some social anxiety. Otherwise, otherwise he probably wouldn't do what
3: he was doing, you know. And, uh, we talked about this when we did our interview, um, where I pointed out the fact that, you know, in, in the train sequence, and I know I'm bouncing all over the place, and, and I apologize for that, but uh, during the train sequence, uh, as he's getting ready to go into the room, uh, before he opens the door it, we get the black and white visualization of what his fantasy is of the situation. Where he opens the door and, and it's very soft and she turns and reaches out to him and it's and it's beautiful it's lovely. But then when he actually right. opens the door in reality, you know, she's coming out of the bathroom, she just uses the bathroom she's got all this guck on her face and Beauty cream. Yes, <laughs> we'll go with that. And, uh, whatever, you know, that whatever that is. Uh,
1: and she cold,
3: cold, cold
1: cream.
3: Yeah, she she's she's refusing to be a victim. She calls him a rapist asshole, and she's fighting. Yeah. And, you know it's it's not it's not your traditional vampire attack, and in, in the sense that not you know, at all. He, well, he's he's nothing- not. Uh, that's the
1: point, though. He's uh, he's not a traditionalist. <laughs> he's not a traditional vampire. It,
3: it, you know, again, uh, the editing in that sequence is so methodical, and you know, from every little tidbit with the uh, taking yeah. the razors and setting them down, and, you know, it, it, his his whole setup it it lives and it dies with the editing the, the way that everything's framed and shot yeah. and the details
1: yeah it was a very tight it was a very tight space it was actually it was actually what it was i mean it was a it was a uh, train uh, uh it was on a train it was it took place on a train took place in a in a sleeper compartment so it was a, it was a really tight face I think it took at least two or three
3: days to shoot it. Cause that's what, like a ten by ten?
1: Uh, maybe, yeah.
3: And specifically yeah, at that time, right. the cameras, you know, are much larger than they are now. Like you can get into a train car with a little red hand camera and yeah, you
1: know, it was it it was it was real. It was tight. It was really tight.
3: Uh, was there any lighting in that room, or was that just all natural? Um,
1: no, I'm sure. No, I'm sure we had tin cans and stuff
3: up. I'm <laughs> sure there was something up. Because uh, it it, it has this very
1: maybe. good. No, I'm I'm done. Uh,
3: it, but it has this very um, soft look, at, while still maintaining almost like like a cold, Mm -hmm. like a, like a blue cold kind of hue to it. And, Mm. you know, it, the, the contrast of the blood when, when that happens, you know, it, it makes it much more, you know, warm and stark. Like when you see the blood, it, Mm. especially blood at that time was, was much richer uh, where it.
1: Yeah. I think, I think um, I think Sabini always talked about how he hated the blood in Martin,
3: and it, it feels it, like it's the it same blood the, in Dawn, right?
1: Maybe I, it wasn't the r- right color for him or something. Um, so, <laughs> I don't know, but I uh, <laughs> I know that he didn't like the color. And I think it was I... good. Ahead. Go ahead, I'm done. I, uh, I'm, Larry, okay, okay. You, you yeah do, uh...
3: I got a question.
2: I got a question. Okay, concerning this scene, you know, we're talking about the train sequence where we have the black and white sort of flashback or fantasy. I wanted to hear John's take on these because if you look at that one, it would say it's a sort of fantasy, a version of reality. So, continuing that thought... Are the scenes in the rest of the movie a fantasy, a version of reality, or is it just totally fabricated, John? What would be your thoughts, and then maybe Larry, you could chime in.
1: Well, I would say that they are all they're all uh, visions in his in his brain. Uh, so yes, I would, I would, I would.
2: Uh, so they're wholly made say, up.
1: Uh, huh?
2: would they be wholly made up or versions of something that did happen
1: uh well it could be versions of something that happened but um I, i think not i think more it came out of his own you know his own psyche right i think these are things that he would want um he would he wanted to be able to have romance he didn't know how to do that. Um, so, you know, I would stand on the side of fantasy. It's it, fantasy.
3: And uh, to, to go off of what he's saying, if you also look at the actual sequences where he commits these murders as opposed to when he's committing the murders in the black and white sequences, he's, he's much more capable than he is when he's in the real world when he's inhabiting the oh, world yeah, of
1: for, color oh yeah oh for sure yeah
3: he he comes off as very clumsy um, even even if he is you know a creature of habit and he he has these routines he's always very careful with the needles uh, yep. <laughs> but there's there's this almost like nervous energy that is translated when it's in color, but when it's in black and white, it's a cool confidence. Yes, I attribute it to I, the sweet yep. ass haircut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know when, when he's in the real world, all that hair is just getting in his face. You know,
1: uh,
3: long hair. Yeah, that, you know, I, I, I,
1: I, yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is a kid that was. Uh, somehow uh, taught at an early age that he is what they say he is, um, who believed it, who for whatever reason his psychosis led him in this direction, Um, and, uh, and, and that's the deal, you know, he's just a crazy mixed up kid caught in this circumstance of, you know, bad parenting.
3: (laughs) And, uh, one thing that I wanted to bring up, uh, and, and then I'll, I'll let Larry say something. Um, sorry, Larry. Uh, but at, you know, throughout the film, you know, he's talking to the DJ, you know, he's the count. And, um, you know, after the way that the film ends, which I, I think I'm going to refrain from spoiling. Even though, you know, it's a 40-year-old I film. I
1: wouldn't. It's, 40, it's 40-something. Yeah. I, I don't I think st- you have to worry about it. I strongly
3: it. <laughs> recommend, though, because there is, a, there is a fair chance that some people haven't seen it. And anybody that's there's made it this thing. far that hasn't should really go out of their way to see it. Um, but
1: Maybe this will get them to see it.
3: But there's you know, again, throughout the film there's this relationship that he has with this DJ um, and at the end of the film uh, while the credits are playing, people are calling in the radio station, asking about the count, and then there's a voice at the very end and I wanted to get your opinion <laughs> on what that meant
1: uh, I think it means. <laughs> I think it means people, you know, call into radio stations and want to take credit for something. I think that's about all that is and I don't think it means I don't think it means that uh, Martin made it.
3: Larry, what did what did you think of that that phone call?
2: Yeah, you know, it's like John said probably just some person, you know wanting to be involved, just like, you know, Martin wanted to be involved somehow and and build relationships, right. and some people are uncomfortable to do it in real life, so they'll call a radio show and just say something to get attention or, or you know, get somebody talking to them when they can't do it in real life. I right. think
1: that's, they put an end to, uh... <laughs> Whatever
3: vibrancy Martin may have had, that's that <laughs> I I have the, the strong feeling that what that kind of represented is that Martin wasn't one of a kind. Martin is the archetype oh, no! for right. for thousands of people that, you know, live these reserved, kind of quiet existences and he's he's a representation of, of a sickness rather than a vampirism. And, and for me, when I watch the film as this is a, this is a young boy with a mental illness who is reacting to the way that he was brought up and the way that he was taught and he, he's beholden to his upbringing to the point where he can't escape it even when he tries. He, he tries you know, he, he tries to have a real human relationship and you know, right. we see how that ends. You know, and it it's there's there's this just this longing, this continual longing for something more than what he's getting. And That's right. I and I feel that that's emblematic of a lot of people who are you know aside from I their desires
1: sure sure I think that's right I I agree
2: So uh wow. John
1: yes. yes Larry
2: having lived with this character and and talked to many people over the years about this movie what would you say the overall maybe overriding theme could be and what would you have people take away from it from watching the movie?
1: Boy, that's a that's a big question, man. <laughs> <laughs> the
2: first part of it? <laughs> what would be the, the sort of overall theme? You know, it, it sort yeah. of seems to me like there's sort of a, a disillusionment with the old ways or the old society. It's it's more of like, sort of, you know, people coming up in the 60s and 70s start to reject the old ways and they want to do something <laughs> new and yeah. different. Yeah, I th- you know,
1: it, it's... Uh, in many ways, it's about change, you know, and about how we come to face and deal with, with change and the realities of change, I think. Um, certainly, certainly, the argument, you know, the uh, modern versus, uh, versus traditionalism, um, both, you know, both in the Catholic Church, but in the larger society. Um, and we, um, a lot of things at that time were dying too, uh, around us. Uh, Pittsburgh was certainly one of those cities that, uh, was suffering from, uh, the loss of its main, um, one of its main, um, uh, uh exports, which is steel. Yeah. Towns were dying. That's why Braddock was kind of used in the first place for Braddock at this point in time has not yet revived and may not survive uh, for a while I think um, so yeah I, I the, the I think the main the major themes one of the major themes was this idea of, of traditionalism versus you know, versus the modern world.
2: Yeah, and, and, and change. <laughs> and change,
1: yeah. And and and
2: change.
1: I don't know if that answered your question very well.
2: Uh, but. I, I, I think so, yeah. Um, and what would you, you know, think people would would take out of it, would be the second part. Like, is it Hard to embrace change. Should they embrace change? Uh, do, they, do they get anything out of it? I th-
1: I think so. Um, I yeah, I think it's I think it is hard to embrace change. Um, and that is probably something someone should be thinking about. Um, when this movie is over and they they sit in the theater or they they sit at home thinking about what they just saw um but it's a necessary change you know it's we have to move we have to move forward not that he was a leading light martin himself not that he was necessarily a leading light in that regard
0: um
1: he was dealing with um he was dealing with you know the other side of society um The old that uh, whose whose beliefs no longer really stand for anything. Um, I'm kind of rambling here, so it's all right. (laughs) Yeah, sure.
2: Should should we or any viewer feel sympathetic for Martin because he's doing some really bad things, and we really shouldn't (laughs) be on his side? But but maybe it's not his fault. So should we be sympathetic to him? Yeah well I
1: think that I think that's right
2: that this is a you know that he
1: himself th- this particular character you know is, is, he, he's lost uh, and so I think that's what helps to uh, cause sympathy or empathy uh, for Martin is the fact that he is so damn lost um, that uh, his na- n- he's naive um, in his thinking he's, he's, he's immature uh, uh, certainly and socio- so- socially isolated from the rest of the world doesn't know how to communicate uh, too terribly well um, all he knows how to do is, is survive and i think that's what he's doing he's surviving under the circumstances that uh were, he was confronted with uh both as a probably younger man and and uh, the young man that's in the film
2: it's uh, interesting i think that uh the movie still can resonate today with people because people are still having you know problems connecting with one another now with Social media, they're on their phones And they're playing games all the time And they're in their houses Nobody's really communicating as much as or as well as they should So it certainly resonates today
1: Yeah, I, I agree uh, I, I think a lot of the things that were going on um, uh, Politically, sociologically uh, In the late 70s Are still here with us And yeah, yep. I, I agree yep um you know we're it's it's hard to it's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to move forward it takes a long time it takes I, more time sometimes than we want to admit
2: and sometimes the, things never progress i think that's, that's a little bit of george's point like things never get better even no matter what you do so maybe he's very cynical <laughs>
3: I could even well, go so far I- as to say that if you think about the rash uh, the rash of mass shootings that have been taking place, specifically like uh, the Columbine shooting and uh, the Virginia Tech shooting, these are people that are, in essence, in the same boat as Mark. They, there's oh, yeah. an element of child trauma. Uh, they don't feel that they can reach no. out to anybody, and they... And they react in a very violent and kind of ugly way. And yeah, yeah. there's, there's a difference, you know, in one sense, because Martin is a film, you get to know this character, you get to know this person before, you know, any, I mean, you, you see him do what he does immediately, but then you get to see him as a person. Before it happens again, and uh, where you know the flip side of that is when somebody does one of these awful things, you know they are vilified immediately as they should be, um, but there's there's no there's no insight into what motivated somebody to do something like that. What what drove these kids to go into their school and, and shoot the place up. And, I, and, I, and I, I see a lot of parallels to that oh, in, yeah. in a very Absolutely. disturbing way. And, and it goes back to that voice at the end of the film, that last caller. It, it feels very much the same. Yeah, it, it's just going to continue. Well, this, yeah, could
1: Yes, yeah, right. I was just going to say could it could be a copycat.
3: Yeah. Yep. So, uh, I don't know, dude. It, it's, it's a really uh, amazing film, and, and I feel like if there isn't anything else you guys want to say about the movie, that now would be as good a time as any to do Reapers. And, uh, John, I, I know you don't know what this is, so I'm going to explain. No. It. Uh, that basically, Reapers is our rating system, zero being the lowest. Five being the highest. If you don't want to rate your own film, I completely understand. <laughs> uh, but Larry, well, where are you, where are fun,
1: you landing? Right? Yeah, it's it's. I think we're, I... I think
2: it's a five. That has to be a five. Yeah, I'd have to say the same thing. I mean, uh, is there something wrong with the movie? No. Look at the editing. I mean, John is great as the character. You know, everybody's good in it. I, I've seen people talk about it on the Internet and say, oh, the, the acting is amateur. So I'm like, except for John, everybody always praises John. But I don't have any problem with anybody in it. I mean, yep. it's, it's really right. well done. It has a great pace because of the editing. It, it has great camera work with the angles and Mike and George yep. working together. It, it, it's a yeah. really great movie, and it certainly needs a Blu-ray release.
3: <laughs> I, I would,
2: well, I would you know say
3: that thought, uh, on performance, though, um, two of the strongest performances are, I mean, obviously John... You know, being the lead is as strong as it gets, he has to carry the film. But, uh, Lincoln Mazelle, is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah. Uh, uh, that's
0: his, correct.
3: his performance is so inherently, like, it's it's backwards without being, you know, because he's so set in his ways. It, 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 yeah. it, it reminds me. Of, well, as he's
1: backwoods Eastern European, is what he is.
3: And uh, Christine. Uh, like, again...
1: Christine Forrest.
3: Yeah, Christine Forrest. Her, her performance, specifically the stuff with her and uh, Savini, uh, who played Arthur. Um, you know, you could tell she... And she even says it to Kuda when she's leaving, you know. I won't end up with him, but he's my way of getting away from me. And yeah, like that's that's just uh, obviously it's in the writing, but her 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 whole story, her whole element, where she again she's very much a victim, just like Martin. She's had to endure this psychos- psychosis. Yeah.
1: Oh sure. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yep. she, she is. She's able to. She's the one person that's able to actually kind of talk to him, um, and gets anything and gets anything out of him other than he and Mrs Santini eventually. But and she's the only one. She's, she says, "I'll be back for you," and he says something to the effect of, uh,
2: "You'll forget." No,
1: you won't. Uh, yeah, you'll forget. Everybody goes away because they don't want to remember where they were.
3: Yeah, and and again, it 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 makes him feel trapped. You know, his outlets to the world are going away from him. Uh, you know, yep. Christine yep. and Miss Santini, and uh, Miss Santini again, just a haunting, tragic performance. And oh yeah, very
1: like Nado,
3: very much she like away. Martin. Yeah, she uh,
1: passed away. Uh, in the, I forget when, the 80s, maybe?
3: Uh, 2005 is
1: what I had read. Oh, 2005? Uh, That may be right.
3: But she, (laughs) you know, very much like Martin, and very much like Christine, uh, is desperately reaching
2: out to connect, and it just doesn't work. The, The interesting thing that just occurred to me is that Every single character is damaged in some way, and they're trying to figure out how to get through life with this damage.
1: There you go. That's it, Larry.
3: Alright, so uh, we're all gonna go with a five for this. Uh, Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Come on. (laughs) legitimately, even if you weren't here, John, I would've given this a five. I don't know about Larry, but I totally would've, John. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh, well,
1: I appreciate that.
3: Plugs, uh, John, are you going to be at any conventions coming up? Do you have anything uh, coming up? Not that at, you...
1: No, not at the moment. I've uh, been on a sabbatical from mm. from teaching, and I have to go back to work in January. So that's oh. my next gig. Going back to work, which I'm not looking forward to. <laughs>
3: That's a good wow. job to, to have. I mean, you know, I, I already told you my old. feeling of uh, p- teachers. I,
1: I, I don't want to go to work anymore. I've been, uh, I've gotten lazy this year, but no, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing coming up on the horizon that I'm aware of. Um, uh, well,
2: there, uh, there is something week. next year.
1: Oh, at the, uh, week, uh, the, no, well, the, the uh,
2: living dead weekend or... uh yeah yeah let me say a little bit about it if you guys don't mind no please oh okay as you know I'm next way, year <laughs> yeah next year is the 40th anniversary of dawn of the dead so yeah. we at the living dead weekend Monroeville we will be putting on a show there in the Monroeville mall it's not going to be in the convention center it's all going to be in the mall we're going to have wow. 40 guests People from uh, Or associated with Dawn of the Dead 40 of them at least That's our goal And uh, I do know the date But I cannot say it yet It's at the beginning Of the summer Let's just say that
3: there
2: you go. You can tell me after we're I,
3: done recording. You no, know, uh, I can't, I can't tell anybody.
2: <laughs> it, it's, it's, sort, it's sort of known and it's being discussed right now, but I, I can't reveal anything right now. It's not my place either to, to make that announcement. Uh, okay. But of course, we will have John there, so, you know. There you go. I have
1: something coming up anyway, huh? Uh, yeah. That's pretty good.
3: I'm telling you, I, I've got to be there. Uh, I need to see both of you guys in real life.
2: You do, and you need to take a tour of the mall with me.
3: Yeah, uh, and uh, if you guys don't follow Lawrence or Larry on social media, he's he's done a couple of live videos where he does kind of a little taste of what he does on these tours, and it's it's fucking amazing. Like, I, if you're a horror fan, which if you're listening to this. Uh, there's a good chance you are uh, it, it is exactly what you want is you know that that textural being able to be in the elements and
2: you know and, have somebody and there's, there's one knowledge important thing too about my tours um when you go to the mall any person can go there you can see the mall but you know what you're gonna walk in and say oh my god it's changed so much But what I do is I find all the little details and things that, that, you know, you can match to what you see on the screen in the movie, and I show these to people. I also have full access to the back boiler room and the hallways and the stairways up to the, the hero's hideout, you know. So when you go with me on a tour of these places, I give you, you know... Every little bit of information that I could squeeze out of it, you know, I try to excite you, I try to reenact things, you know, I'll pretend I'm the characters, I'll sometimes do the lines, although I'm not great with lines, uh, but you know, I get into it, and people get enthusiastic as they see me, see me go, get more and more enthusiastic as the things go on, you know, and, and people are really shocked, and, and, and you know, they're like, wow, you really know your stuff, and you really tell us all these little details, so you know, you make it fun and enjoyable. You know, and, and you can't have that on your own people might say oh you can go to the mall anytime well you just don't know all the things that I know so that's what makes it important to have a guide like me and as long as
3: you that's don't say problem. to John don't go out there <laughs> <laughs> sorry I had to
1: Rico look out <laughs> uh,
3: um yeah, dude, if you guys are here for John or Lawrence, which I don't blame you either way, but you've enjoyed what you've heard, you want to hear more, you want to find out more about the show. You can do that in a couple of different ways. Start by going to com, Go into the through the back catalog. Go back to uh my first interaction with John, uh which again is a 2-year-old conversation. Um I remember it is it still holds a place very dear in my heart, in terms of interviews. I've interviewed a shit ton of people since then, but uh, you, you always remember you first. <laughs> and, uh, it, it is a fantastic <laughs> you, conversation. Larry. Oh, you, you already know, John. I, I've told you uh, on numbers of occasions how much you mean to me, and, and you know, I'm not gonna get sappy. But, um... If you want to follow us in the world of uh, social media, you can do that in a couple of different ways. Start by sure. liking us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash creaturepod by following us on Twitter and Instagram at creaturepod. Um, that, like I said, is going to do it for us for the month of November uh, for giving. Uh, we are going to be saying goodbye to that theme and saying hello to a brand new theme once December rolls around It's the Christmas season, and I I needed to come up with something punny, so our next theme is Chris Massacre, and uh, we will be covering Massacre films for the entirety of December. Uh, I'm going to try to get some of the uh, cast and crew from some of the films that we're going to be covering to come on the show. Whether that happens or not remains to be seen. You never can promise these things, but uh, just say, wheels are turning. Uh, But... Our next feature is going to be uh, the Nail Gun Massacre. <laughs> so if you haven't seen it and you don't want it to be spoiled, watch it before next week because next week we are going to spoil the ever-loving shit out of it. Um, but I, again, I just want to thank you, Lawrence, and I want to specifically thank you, John. Not like you're more important than
2: Lawrence or anything, but. but
0: but of are. <laughs> of course, of course.
2: But before we go, can I mention the website for The Living Dead Weekend? Yeah, yeah, dude. Alright, so uh, as you just heard about these tours that I do, we also have all kinds of celebrities from the Romero films. It's going to be a Dawn of the Dead reunion this coming beginning of summer around there. It hasn't been released yet, but check us out on thelivingdeadweekend.com and then if you want to pay attention to the things that go on in John Ample's world, look him up on Facebook under John Amplis.
1: There you have it.
2: And, um, Thanks,
3: Larry. Are you yeah. guys, guys going to be doing any uh, filming locations for Martin during Living Dead Weekend?
2: Um, no, it's going to be solely um, mall tours that go on during that because it's a whole Dawn-centric event, you know? but you know yeah, you're, fun, and you're right, Jones there right, right
0: there.
3: <laughs> Could you imagine um, walking oh, the train tracks with Martin?
2: Oh god, yeah, yeah, I'd love it.
3: <laughs> Dude, or you know, maybe maybe he'll bust out his sweet ass cape.
2: <laughs> I know oh, where yeah. that playground is. I know where all the the uh, Martin locations are. <laughs> yeah, you do.
3: <laughs> so, yeah, um If if I come to Pittsburgh, which it's it's a trek that I've wanted to take for years, you better take me to some of these Martin locations, and John, you better go with us.
2: If you come out at time, time I'm there. I will. Yeah, if you're
1: if yeah, if I'm around, I'll be I I'd be happy to.
0: You heard it here first, folks. If if,
1: person you want to walk around there with too. Not just Larry, you might want to find Tony Booba.
3: I was going to Tony, say...
1: Tony, Tony's still in that area.
3: Very cool. Uh, Alright, so, yes, uh, before I start geeking out again, uh, we're going to get out of here. <laughs> Alright. So, for Lawrence DeVincent, for John Amplus, and for myself, again, my name is Chunky. This has been another episode of the Creature Features Podcast on Geeks of the Industry, Dot com, Stitcher, and iTunes. Listen, someone you trust.
1: That's him. I, I like him. Go ahead. I wonder where the Count is. Uh, I know he's out there. Somebody's called the weird guy a to call. Uh, we'll all right, the Count. Yes, Here. the Count. We, we all want to know, you know what happened to the Count. What do you so, think? I got a little the back count. home with my friend. Uh, Barry, my friend. You out there very uh, what, what happened to the Count? Uh, the the, the Count.
0: What I happened to the Count? The question is, what happened to the Count? Yeah, well, what happened to the Count? Well, he's taken over the slot from 6 to 6. All right, our man, the Count. This
1: is a stock boy works down. On the vampire. the Counts! We have a call for the Counts. Come on, count, God, I on hope us. you're listening out there. The People want to hear from you. Go ahead, what's, what's, your, what's your concern about the Count?
0: Well, I wondered where he was, and while I was wondering, I wrote, wrote a song about him. Black, cape, and shiny. No, he is cape and not black. Oh, he's he's not there. black. No, he stands cool. His <laughs> cool, it cape is patterns on it,
1: like a paisley. <laughs> paisley. And, he a, and he wears a, and he wears a, and he wears a big apple
2: cap.
0: This call I heard, this was joking. You sound Polish. I think, Polish I'll Good night. We
2: enjoy your show. I hope you get him back. Okay. And it was a good gimmick.
0: I think I know where the count is. I have a friend who I think is the count.